All right. Hey, good morning. Welcome. We want to welcome everybody, not only here in the room, but hey, if you're worshiping this morning in your pajamas or in your living room, welcome. This is kind of a historic day for our church because not only are we gathering here uh, in the room together, but we have families all over the county gathering in their living rooms and worshiping through live stream today on Facebook. So um, yeah, welcome everybody. We're super excited uh, to be able you know, to worship this way uh, together today. So, uh, hey, a couple things. Uh, first, I want to give just some thanks because uh, going online was no small thing. Uh, so folks like Don Taggart, uh, Ethan Hardwick, and Joe Dial put in huge hours to make that happen. So kudos to, to those guys. I also want to kind of give thanks uh, to Pastor Craig, Pastor Jess, Pastor Mike, who really put together not just a plan for the next few weeks in light of the virus outbreak that we're facing in our country, but they really put together a comprehensive plan where we're going to be able to come alongside you, not just on the weekends, uh, but through the week as well. We're going to give you resources to kind of help you think a little bit more uh, deeply about the virus and the opportunity this presents for us to, you know, press in and trust God together. Many of you may not be aware of this, but um, our president has actually uh, called today a national day of prayer in response uh, to the virus. So I'm going to take a moment and I am going to pray for that right now. So could we kind of do that together? Thank you very much. So I'll pray. Hey, God, we just pray wisdom for those who lead in this country. We pray that for wisdom for those who are trying to contain this virus. Help us act in the way of wisdom. Thank you for the promise of your word that you give it to all who seek it. So we ask you to pour it out generously. Lord, we pray provision for those who've been negatively impacted financially by this virus, for those who've been sent home and won't get paid and don't know when or if they'll get paid again. We pray that they would come to know you as their provider. God, we also pray that the gospel, the hope of the gospel, the strength of the gospel would go out in a time of fear and uncertainty and that we would be faithful witnesses to proclaim our hope in you um, as you know those maybe outside the faith community uh, wrestle with fear and uncertainty. God, and f finally, we just pray healing and help for our country, for countries around the world. We pray that by your mighty sovereign hand that you would stop the spread of this virus. We pray that you would preserve and protect lives um, in the midst of it. And God, finally, I also just ask that um, Christians, that we in this room and in living rooms all over the place this morning, that we just be gracious with one another that as there's all kinds of different perspectives about the way that we should move forward, some emphasize courage, others emphasize love, love for others. Um, God, you know, we just, I just pray we'd be gracious with one another. This is one of those conversations that where you tell us in your word very clearly that we're to let each man be convinced in his own mind and we're not to judge one another but we're to support and encourage and find a way to move forward in unity. So God, help us be unified around the gospel message in this day and in this time. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 
Hey, so I'm going to do some review. We're looking at um, uh, another of our values today. It's the value of intentional discipleship. We say it this way. We're saying, hey, we are going to dig wells deep, right? We're going to dig deep spiritual wells into th through things like uh, study, uh, prayer, worship, and service. And then we're going to intentionally invest those things, right, in other people. So this is a huge, huge deal. It's a big deal. So last week, right, I just reminded us, hey, when we think about this word disciple, it's such a powerful word. Um, it's a word that in the early days of Christianity was used to refer to the earliest followers of Jesus before the word Christian was even on the scene. And we said that the word disciple means uh, things like this. It means apprentice. It means student. It means learner. It means pupil. It means follower. So uh, all that to say that a disciple then is someone who wants to be like his or her teacher. In this case, we need and long and should be like our Savior, our teacher, our rabbi, Jesus, right? So when there's a decision to be made, uh, we go to our teacher and we say, what would you do? And why would you do it that way? And we listen to what he would tell us and then we go and we do that, right? We want to we talk, think, and act like our teacher. So, uh, so while a disciple is someone who, um, so we would just say this, a disciple is someone who's embraced Jesus as their teacher. They believe that when Jesus speaks, he speaks as one who knows what he was talking about, not just when he talks about heaven or eternal life, but when he talks about anything. And in fact, uh, Dallas Willard, I love these words, I'm going to read them to you here. He's just talking about how brilliant our Jesus is, and I just want us to think about this for a minute. He says, at the literally mundane level, Jesus knew how to transform the molecular structure of water to make it wine. That knowledge also allowed him to take a few pieces of bread and some little fish and feed thousands of people. He could create matter from energy. He knew how to transform the tissues of the human body from sickness to health and from death to life. He knew how to suspend gravity. He knew how to interrupt weather patterns, eliminate unfruitful trees without saw or axe. He only needed a word. Surely he must be amused at what we award Nobel Prizes for today. In the ethical domain, he had an understanding of life that's influenced the world more than any other. Death was not something imposed on him by others. He explained to his followers in a moment of crisis that he could at any time call 72,000 angels to do whatever he wanted. He plainly said, nobody takes my life. I lay it down by choice. I am in a position to lay it down, and I alone am in a position to pick it up. My father and I have worked all this out. Then he says this, all these things show Jesus' cognitive and practical mastery of every phase of reality, physical, moral, spiritual. He is the master because he is the maestro. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we must also at the same time be saying Jesus is smart. He's not just nice, he's freaking brilliant. 
See, he is the smartest man who ever lived. He is now supervising the entire course of world history by simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. He always has the best information possible on everything and certainly on the things that matter most in life. What we're saying when we say, that we want to be disciples, we're saying we are people who have embraced Jesus, not just for our salvation, but we have embraced Jesus as our teacher and that we believe He knows what He's talking about, not just when He's talking about heaven, but when He's talking about how to live today. And so this begs the question, are you a disciple or are you just a Christian? And I want to tell you what the difference is because I do think there's a difference. So we know, most of us, right, uh, what the message of Christianity is. Uh, many of you in this room, you came to a realization one day, right, that there was a gap that existed between you and God. And so your first best thought was, you know what, I don't know how to approach God because when I approach God, I feel things like guilt and shame, and I don't know how to push past that right? Because there was an awareness in you. Hey, he's perfect and he's holy and I'm imperfect and I'm broken. I'm sinful. I go my own way. I do my own thing. And that's created this wall, this barrier, right? Now here's the question that Christianity answers decisively. Can you bridge this gap? Can you make the gap smaller or come together on just, on, on just your human effort alone? And the answer would be, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's through Christ and Christ alone that we bridge the gap between us and God. And so, it's through faith and trust in Him, right? In other words, uh, that He died the death we should have died. He paid the penalty that we owed because of our sin and rebellion. He took all that on Himself. He was punished so that we could be pardoned, right? Um, he, he was stricken that we might be forgiven. So it's only through faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. And so the answer to the question, can this gap be bridged by human effort, is no. But I'm amazed at how often I sometimes revert into a mode where I try to bridge this gap through my own human effort and how often I see other people try to bridge the gap by just presenting themselves to God as a good person or as righteous, right? And so we would say the message of Christianity is no. It's through faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. So a Christian then is somebody that's embraced this message that uh, Christ alone brings me to, into a relationship with God, right? Now, so that's one gap and Christians fill it in with Christ. But you're going to become aware, you know, maybe a day after you make this decision to trust Christ, right? It may be a week, it may be a month. You're going to become aware of a different kind of gap. This is more a gap in the here and now. So you're going to bump into somebody and, and you're going to be amazed. They're going to have this amazing marriage. And you're going to think, well, why does my marriage not work the way their marriage does, right? So here's what this gap looks like. This is a different kind of gap. This is a gap between the current you 
and the imagined you, the you that you want to be, the you that you think you should be, the kind of marriage that you think that you should have, right? And you're going to be more and more aware of the gap between the two, and you're going to wonder, how do I get from here to there? How do I bridge that gap? And we would say that a disciple is someone who understands that you can't bridge that gap through human effort. That that only results in futility and frustration and disappointment and discouragement. And lots and lots of people have tried. And so when they get to that point where they're trying to bridge that gap on their own, just pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, we have all kinds of coping strategies we develop. One of them is this, we just fake it. We just pretend. We pretend we're not broken. We pretend we don't have any problems. We show up at church. We smile. We dialogue. We, we pretend to have it all together. We fake it. And, and we all know, right, faking it isn't going to bridge that gap. It's not going to work, right? And then there's other people that they dig down and they go, you know what? I'm just going to work it. I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to work it to bridge that gap. I'll prove to God that I'm worthy. I will just do what I have to do. I will power through and I will make sure I bridge that gap to God. And Scripture tells us over and over and over again, you can never bridge the gap in this way. It doesn't work either, right? And so then we go, okay, well, fine. You know what? Maybe I need to switch it. Maybe if I switch venues, maybe if I switch churches, right? So, hey, if I just go to another church, that'll, that'll uh, help me bridge that gap. Or maybe I need to trade in my spouse. Maybe if I, if I, went, if I switched marriages, that would help. Or what if I switched jobs or switched locations and moved to a different place? Maybe switching it will help me get there, right? And the problem with switching it is that wherever those people go, they're still there. Right? And they're still in the same condition. It's just new surroundings and new people. And so the Bible says, you know what, that one doesn't work either. And so finally, people just throw up their hands and they quit it. They just give up. They say, you know what, this works for other people, but it doesn't work for me. This Christian thing isn't working for me. And so, they, they, so there's just a sense, right, that I, I, I didn't have the resources necessary to get from here to get to there. So I'm just going to give up. This thing isn't working for me. And what we would say that a disciple of Jesus knows is that you bridge this gap in exactly the same way that you bridge the gap for eternity through faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. But it's not just that we believe that Christ knows what he's talking about when he talks about eternity. A disciple is someone who is a student of Jesus. They take their cues from Jesus. They want to act like Jesus. They want to think like Jesus. They want to speak like Jesus. This is a disciple. And it's only through Christ that we move from here to there. And this is where discipleship makes all the difference. And it's so important that we uh, understand this very, very, very clearly. And so here's the way that we've chosen to articulate the discipleship thing. In other words, how you get from the current you to the imagined you or the you that you want to be or the you that God says 
that you are. Here's how we articulate this value. We say, look, we're going to dig deep spiritual wells through study, through worship, through prayer, and through service. And we're going to turn around and we're going to pass those things on to other people. Now, here's why this is so important. And some of you may be wondering, now, wait a minute. What does digging a well have to do with discipleship? And so I want to connect that dot. How does digging down deep help someone be a better disciple, right? Well, let's look at an amazing claim that Jesus made in John 7. So one day Jesus stood up. They they were celebrating a Jewish feast or a festival, and Jesus didn't just speak this to his disciples. He stands up and he, he shouts it at a crowd of people, and here's what he says. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, Jesus said this knowing that everybody's thirsty. All of us are seekers. All of us thirst. And so he's saying, hey, everybody who thirsts, knowing that everyone in the crowd thirsts, uh, come to me and drink. Because whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So here's what we believe uh, a disciple does. So we believe that when someone places their faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit moves in and takes up residence in that man or that woman. And so the goal of a disciple is to tap into that living water. How do you tap into water in a ground table? What do you do? You dig down deep. You dig a well. And a lot of people read a verse like this, like John 7, and they think, well, shouldn't that just happen automatically? No. We have the Holy Spirit, but you have to grow. You and I both have to grow in our ability to access Him. The Scriptures would say it this way. They say things like, keep in step with the Holy Spirit or be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So Ephesians 5.18, for example, don't be controlled by wine, but instead, or so don't be drunk with wine or controlled by it. Instead, be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, right? So a disciple is somebody who's learning how to yield control of his or her life to the Holy Spirit follow? So, so, so by digging wells deep, we're trying to access the living water that Jesus said he came to provide. Now listen, the reason we dig wells is because that's where life is. That's where life is. That's how we find living water. And I want to say this, all human beings, not just Christians, not just some people, All human beings are already well diggers. In other words, all of us dig wells deep down to try to find life. We we dig for different things that we think are going to sustain us. So, for example, some of us might dig a well deep down, right, into things like romance or sex or love. And we're going to dig for that. And we're going we're gonna to bu- dig our life on that principle. And that's, what we're gonna, that's the well we're going to drink from. The well of romance or sex or love. And we think that's the, that's the well. That's the water that's going to sustain us. That will bring us life. 
right? Then others of us move a little bit and we dig well on a completely different set of values. Maybe things like success or applause or influence. And some people dig a well over that water table, right? And they try to drink from that water. And they're hoping what we all hope, right? That that water will bring them life, And then there's another group of people, and maybe they dig a well, they move over here, and they dig down deep on things like possessions or money or things. And that's the water they drink from, right? If I can accumulate enough possessions, if I can accumulate enough money, if I can just bring enough resources to myself, that's the thing that will bring me life. And uh, some of you know this. You've maybe never articulated it this way. But every one of us in the room probably knows somebody because in a room this size, some of you are there and you certainly know someone who does this. But there are people, and I would say they drink from a well of rejection. And so they filter because they're drinking the water of rejection They filter everything they hear and everything they see through that lens. And so if someone walks by and doesn't engage them in the eye or talk to them, their first assumption is, oh, they must be mad at me. Oh, they must not like me. Oh, they must hate me. Why? Because they're drinking water from a well of rejection right? And Christians don't ever need to drink water from that well because one of the hopes held out by the gospel is that our God has accepted us, right? That we're accepted in Him and that we are loved and that He demonstrated that great love for us by dying on a cross, right? This is one of the hopes held out by the gospel. So we don't ever have to drink from a well of rejection, but from a well of acceptance. And we drink from wells of rejection because of past rejections, right? Because of past hurts, maybe related to our parents or our friends or co-workers. But that's, uh, again, it's drinking out of our own woundedness. See, sometimes we dig wells in our lives that we're not even aware of, where we're just drinking from a well of woundedness. And Jesus says, you don't have to drink from those kinds of well. So see, everybody's a well digger. This isn't just a Christian thing. We're just saying, look, we want to be intentional about digging the right kinds of wells and drinking the right kinds of water. And so we've said, hey, we're going to dig four kinds of wells here to grow disciples um, of Jesus. The first one is, look, we want to grow a well through study. Now listen, When we say study, what we're talking about is the Word of God. And I have a concern. When I say the word study, some of you glaze over right away, right? The non-scholastic, non-studious types. And I don't even like this word, but it's an easy way to articulate that we want to be a people that are devoted to growing in God's Word. Because God's Word has some, I mean, it makes amazing claims for itself. So here's one. Uh, Hebrews 4, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we believe that when we get the Word of God rattling around in our minds and getting lodged in our hearts, that it starts to push out inferior affections and it begins to uh, bring us stability and groundedness. We begin to be better able to drink the living water that Jesus came to provide. 
right? So we believe that we need to be students of God's Word. We need to be meditating on it. We need to be growing in it. We need to be applying it. We need to be doing it. But I want to say this because the word study implies an information exchange. And sometimes people will go to a Bible study, right? And they'll say, hey, that was so good because I learned something new. Listen, the goal with the Bible is not to learn something new. The goal with the Bible is to to be able to apply the teaching that you're hearing to your life. And so you don't need to learn anything new to keep growing as a disciple. The Word of God is not meant to be simply an information exchange. When we say we want to be students of God's Word, we're saying that we want it to be an experience. We want you to experience God as you dig down deep. We want you uh, to be involved with Him. It's not just an informational exchange, right? Um, so, yeah, the, God's Word is certainly one of those. Another way is through prayer. We, in other words, we're saying we're going to dig a deep well. We're going to access the living water of the Holy Spirit through an active, vital prayer life. Uh, that's one of the wells that we're going to dig. And, and we're gonna, so we're going to be men and women who just pray and, and grow in our ability to pray and learn how to pray and become more devoted to that and more dependent on it. Because as we converse with God, as we talk to God, and then as we engage in solitude and listen to what God would speak back to us, uh, we're going to grow as disciples. Right? We're, gonna, we're accessing the living water of the Holy Spirit. And then we said we're not just going to stop there. We're, we're not just going to dig a well over God's Word. We're not just going to dig a well over prayer. We're going to dig a well over worship. Worship, because worship fashions and forms us. It transforms us. It changes us. It really does. Here's something I notice about myself. If I go a few days and I don't worship, I get more impatient, I get less thankful, I become less grateful. But when we gather as a community and we worship together, it reminds me, right, that God is bigger than my problems. It reminds me of what He's done for me. It reminds me of, of, of um, how much I owe to him. Worship is such a powerful well to dig, to dig over. Uh, because it just it rescues us from ingratitude and ungratefulness. I mean, it really does transform us, transform our mind from uh, being unthankful to being grateful. And then finally, service is a well that we're committed to digging here. Because we believe that in a land of famine, living water is meant to be passed on. In other words, we don't just drink from a well... We don't dig those wells just for ourselves. We dig them because we know that everybody in the world is a well digger and everybody's looking for life, you know, and, and we have living water that we can offer to them. So I don't just dig a well just to sustain or feed me. I dig a well so that I can hand living water to my neighbor. I pass it on. I mean, what kind of people would, be, would we be if in a land of famine we refused to, to share water with those who were thirsty? Especially knowing that our Savior is the very one who said, hey, come to me all who are thirsty and I'll give you water to drink. I'll give you living 
water. See? So let me just ask you, are you digging wells to access the life of Jesus? The living water of Jesus? I would just encourage you, dig below the surface stuff. Scrape below the mundane. Pull back anything that needs to be uh, pulled out of your life that's keeping you from Jesus. Listen, what is done in simple faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone, even what might seem routine, unseen and world-changing is actually how we see that God both exists and that He rewards those who earnestly dig for Him. This is so amazing to me how this works. So here's what I want to do with the few minutes that we have left together. I just want to look at how does a disciple become transformed? Specifically, I mean, what's my part and what's God's part? How do I move from here to there through Christ? Here's how. I recognize that Christ alone brings all the resources I need to be able to do this. And that I don't have the resources within me to do it. So here's how this works, right? We hear, uh, well, I'll talk about that in a minute. So we just trust in Him to provide the resources. And then the effort I bring is I dig down deep through the spiritual disciplines to access those resources. But Christ always brings the resources. I, I have none to offer, only Him. But I dig wells to reach that living water. And there's a, there's a verse that's so helpful here, and I want to look at it. It's Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Here's what it says. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, and I love this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say that my salvation comes free of charge and that I don't have to work for it? Yes, it does. But he doesn't say work for your salvation. He says, work it out. In other words, it's already been given to you. You have it, but you have to work that out. You have to push it forward. You have to move it on. So he doesn't say, work for your salvation. We all know that comes only by grace. He says, work it out. So this is the effort. Let me ask you a question. Does it take effort to dig a well? Yes, it does. Right? But I dig a well because I know I don't have life on my own. I need the living water that Jesus came to provide. But here's what's so amazing about these verses. It says, work out, not work for or work on. Work out your own salvation. Why? Verse 13, because it's God who's already working in you. So in other words... My effort is a response to the work that God is already doing in me. So there's a partnership in discipleship, right? Between you and between God. Where you're being transformed and you're being changed. You're moving from here to there through Christ and Christ alone where He's bringing the living water, but you're digging the well. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And there's a couple of ways the New Testament talks about digging wells. One is uh, Jesus says in John 15, for example, abide in me, abide in me. Stay close to me. If you abide in me, then I'll abide in you. You can do nothing on your own. 
Jesus says. You need my strength, my resources, my power. And then there's another, another word that's used a lot in the New Testament. And we're going we're gonna to discover this word together. And the way we're going to discover it is we're just going to look at three very short verses and we're going to look at what's the word in common for how the New Testament calls people to grow. What's the word? And uh, we're going to look at it. So uh, the first verse is 1 Corinthians 9.25. Here's what it says. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it, do what? We do what? We be disciplined in our training. We do it for an eternal prize. Now look at this verse, 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Because physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising results both in this life and the life to come. And then Jesus said these words in Luke 6. He said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he's fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so, so what's the word that we see used in every one of these verses in reference to digging wells? What's the word? Train. Train yourself to be godly. And this is so important, and here's why. Because here's what happens. So let's say that I stood up, and I said to you, hey guys, anger's bad, anger's wrong, God hates anger, right? Especially when we use it inappropriately. So we should all just stop it. And you would go, yeah, pastor, I, I agree, anger's bad. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to try to be less angry. And here's, the, here's what a disciple knows. A disciple knows that you get from here to there by training, not by trying. There's a big difference. And let me, let me spell this out. So, so some of us, we go, yeah, pastor's right. I should be less angry. I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to buckle up. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. And I'm just going to get rid of all my anger. And then you walk out in the parking lot and you've got a flat tire. You kind of grit your teeth, but you keep it suppressed, right? But then you go home and your pet has provided you with li both liquids and solids on your living room carpet. Well, then you just wig out, right? You lose it. And you're kicking the dog. You're screaming at the kids. I mean, you're, it hasn't even been an hour, and you're already angry. Then you know what you do? If you think the trying thing is the paradigm, you're going to go, oh, well, this must not work for me. This Christian thing's not what it's cut out to be. I, you know, because, hey, I tried. It just didn't work for me. I'm such a failure. And it only creates a greater cycle of shame and unbelief. Right? Because you're trying to do it in your own strength and in your own effort. But a disciple doesn't just try, they train. Let me ask you guys a question. How many of you think right now that you could get up out of your seat and run a 26-mile marathon just by trying? Now listen, if you raise your hand, I'm going to make you do it. Go, start running right now. 26 miles, come on. Yeah, I think I saw Warren raise a hand too. Yeah, put your money where your mouth is, buddy. Listen, we all know you can't run 26 miles, all right? So here's the thing. Here's what I'm telling you. Listen, the Christian life is impossible to live 
by just trying. You have to train for it. In the same way that it's impossible to run a 26-mile marathon just by trying, it is impossible to run, to, to run the Christian life, run the Christian race without training or digging deep wells through study. In other words, what I'm telling you is we train through worship. We train through prayer. We train through a surrender to God's Word. We train through service. We train through generosity. We, these are all wells that we dig that train us to be disciples. Let me give you some current examples from uh, just our modern era. One would be the Star Wars universe. So in, in Star Wars, right, you have, a, you have an apprentice, a Jedi apprentice, who studies under a Jedi master, right? And, and their whole goal in, in becoming like their Jedi master is to gain a control to learn how to use and manipulate or control the Force. Now in Christianity... We too are apprentices of our master. His name is Jesus. And we want to be like him, but it's exactly the opposite. We do it so that we can learn not how to control the force, but how to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person with mind, will, and intellect. So we, we yield to Jesus so that we might learn how to be controlled or led or guided by the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, and we train, the best analogy I can think of for what I'm trying to say to you this morning is from the movie Karate Kid. How many of you have ever seen Karate Kid? So we, I, we need to talk about this because it's so, so uh, important. All right, so yeah, in the movie, uh, Karate Kid, you've got um, Daniel, right, who's learning from Mr. Miyagi. He wants to learn karate. He goes to Mr. Miyagi, and he says, hey, can you teach me karate? And at first, Daniel doesn't feel like he's learning karate at all. In fact, he, he later goes to Mr. Miyagi, because all Mr. Miyagi asks him to do is he says, hey, I want you to wax your car, Right? I want you to paint the fence. You know, he gives him all these chores. And at some point, Daniel just gets absolutely fed up and he goes to Mr. Miyagi and he says, Hey, I'm sick and tired. Are you just making me do your chores? I came to you to learn karate. And then Mr. Miyagi shows Daniel how those chores, who seem to have no connection to karate at all, Right, how those chores had been foundational in helping Daniel learn karate. And if you want to know how that worked, you've got to go rent the movie. The good news is there's two versions of that movie. There's one from like the, I don't know, the late 70s, early 80s, like that I was kind of taken with. And there was another one that came out in like the, I don't know, early 2000s. So you can pick the one that's meant for your generation, right? You can pick it. But my point is this. See, Daniel didn't realize that through uh, doing these disciplines that weren't even associated with karate, that they were going to give him a working knowledge of karate, right? And so here's, here's how this fits us. If we dig wells into the Word and into a prayer life and into service and into worship and into generosity, 
if we dig wells into those things, sheerly by the virtue of doing those practices, we will become over time less angry. Not because we focused and said, I'm going to try really hard to be less angry, but because one day we will wake up and we'll just be less angry because we have been training. So here's how this works. We dig these deep wells. There will come a day at work when God will say to you, I want you to show me grace instead of ambition. There will be a day in your marriage where God will say to you, I want you to show me gentleness instead of anger. There will come a day when you don't get what you think you deserve and God will say to you, I want you to show me contentment instead of entitlement. A day when someone hurts you and God will say to you, I want you to show me mercy instead of vengeance. And you will know how. You will be able to do it because you will have trained under your master. Not because you just said, yeah, pastor's right, I really need to work on that. But because you grew into the character of your Jesus. Because you learned through digging wells, into the study of God's Word, into developing a prayer life, into a rhythm of generosity, into all these habits and disciplines which don't seem to be connected to anger at all, you will find that you will be able to do the very thing in the most difficult circumstances that God is asking you to do because you will have learned to live out of His resources and not yours. And that's the God that we worship. And that, my friends, is what discipleship is all about. It's about bridging the gap from here to there alongside our Jesus, allowing Him to bring the resources you and I could never provide. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call our praise team up and we're going to respond uh, together. If you're in your living room, this is an opportunity for you to respond today as well. No matter where you are, no matter what room you might be in.